Well, good evening. It is my joy to be able to be here with you tonight. Um, I was here uh, some time ago on a Sunday and got to preach morning and evening. And it was a privilege and an honor when Pastor Albert asked me to come back. You know, for the first time, they don't know what they're getting into. Now he knows what, uh, what he's gotten himself into by inviting me to come back. But it is a joy to be here. I, I'm just so thankful for the congregation that God has uh, raised up here in Royal Oak and, and this church. Our church is, has a few more uh, rows than this church has. But I grew up in a church that, that kind of looked just like this one. I grew up in, in uh, Walled Lake, Novi area, uh, just uh, west of here. And I grew up in a couple of churches out there, and and, uh, and so I enjoy it. I enjoy getting back here and thankful for what God's, do, God's doing here. I, uh, Brother Clayton did say that I've been around Intercity for a while. I, I have. I, I actually came to Intercity through the Christian school that the church has. And I met my wife in sixth grade. Her first thoughts of me when I was doing some stuff that first year in sixth grade that she knew me, literally, if you ask her tonight, and I, I apologize, Marsha wasn't able to be here with us tonight. Uh, we switch our service on in the summer to Tuesday at Intercity, and it allows us to be able to get out to do things like this, but uh, we had already some family commitments for this night, and so she's not able to be here. But if you were to ask Marsha what her first thoughts of me were when we were in sixth grade, she, I was in front of the class telling some jokes, and she wondered, is he funny or weird? And that was her first thoughts of me. And I think she's still trying to figure that out. Um, in fact, when, when, when I was in junior high, we all flunked a test one day. And the uh, teacher came into class, and she said, Would all the dummies in this class please stand up? And nobody stood. After she said it a couple times, I stood. She said, Oh, we have one dummy here in this class today. I said, well, not exactly. I just hated to see you stand alone. So, uh, no, that didn't happen. I'm just kidding. I just want to make sure if you were awake or not. But I did uh, make it through uh, the school there and so went away to college and uh, came back and was a youth pastor for nine years. And the kids wore me out. I had to slow down and work with folks who are more my age and uh, maybe even a little bit older. But uh, I enjoy the ministry God's given me there and, and was and very grateful for what God has allowed me to do. I think in my, one of the things I do in my ministry is I, I do a lot of visiting in hospitals. Um, in fact, uh, one of our church members just had surgery today here in Royal Oak at Beaumont Hospital. And so um, I am contemplating going by the hospital after the service. They said they didn't want any visitors. So I don't know if that meant me too. So I'm going to kind of figure out what to do. But I may be swinging by the hospital here um, as, I, as I leave. But I spend a lot of time in hospitals, a lot of time in, a, in an office discipling, counseling folks who, who are facing the challenges of life. And, and tonight, I don't think that this congregation here at Ambassador is really all that different than the congregation that I'm a part of in Allen Park. I think about people in our congregation who are facing times of significant trials. You know, some have life-threatening illnesses. Some have... Uh, debilitating chronic pain, and they'll never get better in this life. Others with nearly overwhelming financial challenges and job challenges, and others in the midst of some some broken, some 
heartbreak in their relationships. And it seems that no matter what they do, the other person couldn't care less to mend that relationship. Think about how these folks are doing. And we might ask, is there really any hope for them? For that person who is facing that, that terminal diagnosis and that, and that disease, what is the hope that that person has? I think about several folks in my particular Sunday school class. I teach a class of 30s and 40-year-olds. And, and, and I think about the people in that Sunday school class, and, and there's a number of people who have significant debilitating issues in their bodies. And I tend to think 40 is kind of young. Some of you think that's old, but many of you will think that's young. And I think 40, and this person is going to spend the rest of his life or her life on this earth facing this significant physical challenge. I don't know about you, but I hate having a headache. And I hate having a neck ache. Something happened. And I slept funny on my on my neck back in the spring. And I every day I've been having some pain in my shoulder, and 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 the doctors are working on it. And and yet I've got hope that that will go away eventually. Hopefully they'll work it out. And yet others there is not not that hope. The only hope that they have is that when they see Christ, that will be taken care of. But in this life, is there any hope for them? Some as I said, are in the midst of difficult relationships. And they seem to be wanting to do the right thing. They seem to be wanting to do the right thing and and, and to follow Christ, and yet the person that they're in that relationship with really couldn't care less to do the right thing or to mend that relationship. Is there hope for them? Is there hope for that person here at Ambassador Baptist Church who finds themselves in the midst of that same kind of situation. We think about others who seem, seem to be facing a battle with sin which is seemingly unwinnable. They know they shouldn't indulge in lust of their sinful flesh They even purpose on a Sunday morning that's going to be better this week only to find themselves the next day or the middle of the week right back in the middle of where they were before and maybe even a bit deeper into that sin. And again, we ask, is there hope for them? Can they know peace? Can they know joy? This side of heaven or Or are they doomed to live their life in these sinful habits until death or Christ comes and they're delivered? How about you? How about you here tonight? Are you truly happy? I don't mean the ha-ha happy like you know, my world is falling apart, but I'm just going to put on a plastic smile and act like everything's all right. I'm not talking about that kind of happy. I mean a down deep, genuine happiness. You know, the kind that has, has settled happiness. It's that kind of happiness that the Bible describes 
when it uses the word rejoice. Are you truly happy tonight? Are you running around trying to find satisfaction in lots of things and coming up empty? You know, if you can identify with folks like this that I've spoken of tonight, or maybe that's even you yourself who is in that kind of situation, I want you to know tonight that there is hope for you. There is hope for you tonight. For God's glory and by God's grace, you can know the joy of the Lord and the peace of God even in a difficult and seemingly desperate circumstance. What I'm going to tell you tonight is true. I know it's true. And I know if by God's grace and for God's glory you will apply the means of God's grace in your life, it can make a huge difference for you. I say this because I know someone who has done exactly what I'm going to share with you tonight, and God helped him. My friend, that person's name is Paul. And tonight, let us look at what Paul has to say. But first, before we go there, I'm going to say a word, and I want you to think about, and I want you to just identify the first thought that comes into your mind. All right, so kind of think about nothing. Some of you, that's easy. I know. I can tell. Others of you, you're going to have to work at it. But try to, you know, think about nothing for a second. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to just, you know, shout out if you want to, or I'll call on you. Tell me the first word that comes to your mind. All right. Here's the word. The word is ready. Philippians. Philippians. All right. What word comes to your mind? Say them out loud. I'm sorry? Jailer, okay? Philippians. Anything else? Alright? Give me a word out of that. Alright, all things, okay? Good. Anything else? Yeah. Generous. Good, good. I love it. I love it. Alright, anything else? Anybody think of the word rejoice? Or gospel? You know, it's interesting to, to, to me tonight, and, and again, we're talking about the Philippian jailer. have got to remember what we all said here. Philippian jailer, generous, all things through Christ. There's one other one? No? All right. Nobody said um, disheartened. Nobody said cast down. Nobody said um, desperate circumstances. The words that you described were the people at Philippi, a person at Philippi, and what Paul said in the Philippian jail as he's in Philippi. You know, let's just remember where this is written. It's written from, I said, I meant Roman prison, all right? We understand that. Where is the book of Philippians written? It's, it's not written from necessarily a beach in Hawaii, right? Or the, the penthouse of the best hotel in town. Where's Philippians written? From where? From a Roman prison. And, and, and that's important for us to remember tonight. Because when we look at the book of Philippians and what we'll look at tonight, and hopefully it will give us some hope 
some help from God's Word, we understand that the book of Philippians was not written from a comfortable surrounding, from a setting that was easy to have joy and happiness and rejoice. It was from a Roman prison. And what do we know about the Roman prisons, the prisons of Paul's day? What do you know about them? Anything? (laughs) Horrible conditions. Okay, it's not a country club prison. And by the way, I would never want to be in a prison, even if they call it a country club prison here in the States, okay? But understand that what Paul was dealing with was far different than what we would ever experience in a, in a place like that here. <clears throat> he didn't have hardly any clothing. He didn't have hardly any provisions, right? People would bring provisions for him, bring clothing, bring food. He had just meager provisions as he's in that jail. So it's not a not a pristine place. It's not like a jail of our day. And yet, what a contrast we see with Paul's joy. Paul has hope. Even in the most horrible environment from where he wrote this book, he will give us hope as we face the circumstances of our life. And so let's settle this one thing right now. Are you with me? Let's settle this one thing right now. And that is that true happiness, true happiness must come from something more than riches or pleasure or physical prowess or striking appearance or charismatic personality. Because Paul had none of these. And yet, he was amazingly joy-filled as he writes the book of Philippians. So, are you ready? Let's look at how we can have hope. How you can have hope. How you can use this passage of Scripture to share with your friend to show him the pathway to hope in this life. Many of you know the overview of the book of Philippians. And Pastor Elward did kind of give me a a heads up on the books that you've been studying. and And I did not see Philippians in that list. So, I'm assuming that many of you will know the overview of Philippians, but Philippians is is quite a book. Um, When you think about the Philippians, are there certain themes that come back over and over again in Philippians? Think about the book of Philippians. What themes or what what things kind of come back? Anybody? I said rejoice. Way in the back, what do you got? So it's a book that is, is, is filled with, I'm going to say the word doctrine or teaching, let's say theology, Christ-centered, God-centered truth here. Good, good. By the way, do you think that thinking right about God, the Father, Son, Spirit, do you think that Paul thought it was important to think right about God when you face these trials? Absolutely. And that could preach. Would you like to preach that tonight? You could come preach it if you like to. No, I'm not going to. Okay. Just kidding with you. But a great point. Great point. What else do you think about with Philippians? I said rejoice. Thankfulness. Okay. Uh, in what way is he communicating thankfulness? Okay. 
again, that's the whole sermon, right? For the grace of God, the people of God, the provision of God. We'll work up a little outline with that, can't we? That'd be good. All right, I'll come back next week and we'll do that one. Uh, um, you know, Paul doesn't always have things going his way, but what keeps driving Paul? What was at the heart of Paul? We see it in, in the first chapter and then kind of weaves throughout the whole thing. It's the advance of the gospel. Some people were, were preaching the gospel and um, they were doing it to advance the gospel. And Paul said what? Cool. Some people were doing what they did as kind of a way to kind of get at Paul, kind of jab him a little bit. And what did Paul say about that? He said, as long as the gospel is going out, I'm okay with that. Okay, so the gospel is really driving him. Okay, we won't take time to kind of review all those things, and, and the book of Philippians is just, is just packed full. I'd have you go to chapter 4. Okay? So if you would go with me to Philippians chapter 4. As you go to chapter 4, you see the end of chapter 3. And, and what's Paul highlighting there at the end of chapter 3? It's, it's the coming of Christ, right? When, when, God will, when Christ will come and He will transform their bodies okay, into a new body. And again, that's, that's hope for the believers. And having said that, he uses what word to start chapter 4? Therefore, okay, so it's built on what he said, the, the doctrine, the teaching of what he said in chapter 3. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, to stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. My beloved. And then verse 2 through verse 3, what's he going to do? He's going to talk about the people who kind of add each other in the church, right? And he says, my beloved my, my companion, help them. Help them to get along. Help them to have harmony. Okay? Verses 4 through 7. He talks about really what is at the heart of people who get along. There's harmony. There's unity in the church. Rejoice in the Lord always. Listen, sisters, don't be at each other. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Have this kind of spirit. And he admonishes them about these things. Verse eight through ten, or verse eight through nine. He challenges them to think right, to think right, and to grow in their faith. Verse ten. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly now that, at last, you have received your. <clears throat> Let me start again. Verse ten. But now I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in wherever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves know, Philippians, that the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. 
For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. We turn now to this passage, having understood where we've come from in Philippians, having looked at what Paul thought about the Gospel and his right thinking about Christ and God, his theology, understanding how they must learn to get along and think right in Christ. Paul, in these few verses, at the end of his book, really, in the verses I want to focus in on tonight are verses 11, 10, 11, 12, and 13. In these four verses, we see the heart of the matter for Paul. Paul was able to have tremendous joy. If you talk to Paul, you'd say, Paul, are you happy? He'd say, well, I don't enjoy being in prison. <laughs> I don't enjoy necessarily having to suffer. But you know what? I am happy. I am rejoicing in the Lord tonight. And in this passage, we can see what the key for him rejoicing in the Lord is. We see it in verses 10 through 13. Paul says this in verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. What has just happened here as Paul is describing it? It says that they revived their concern for Paul. What just happened? Well, if you, if you know the, kind of the story of this passage... Paul received a gift from them. He received a gift of provision that met his needs. Remember what we said about living in a Roman prison? You had very meager food, very meager clothing. And those who loved you, your family, your friends, would send to provide for you. Um, years ago, we went over, several years ago, actually 2005, we went over to minister in Africa. In uh, East Africa, we went there for two weeks. And took a group of about 12 adults from our church to go. Uh, I'll never forget being over there. And, and you go and you, you, you eat along with the Africans. And, and, and we had our American friends there that would give us uh, maybe some of the food that we might prefer. But as well, we're eating along with the Africans. You eat a lot of rice. And, um, and then whatever they provide for you. And, and, and by the way, there's pineapple over there. that I, I love pineapple. Do you like pineapple? Pineapple you can get for like 25 cents. And man, that's like dessert to me. That's like candy. So you're eating some of the stuff. But I'll never forget, a week and a half into it, we were there. This was a Wednesday. We got there Sunday. So we'd go out all week and then into the next week on a Wednesday. One of the group members pulled out from their um, stuff some ho-hos, some hostess ho-hos. After 10 days of living off of rice and some of these provisions, what, 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 what do you think we thought when we saw those, saw those ho-hos? We're like, oh, man, we have hit the gold mine here. You know? And we started joking with her that we're going to you know, take her down and take her ho-hos away from her and, and, and attack her for those ho-hos. You know, after living for 10 days like that, 
Uh, and she did share those with us, by the way. Um, after living 10 days, we were happy that we had some good old-fashioned American snacks. Let me ask you, when you read verse 10 and Paul says that, that he received their gift, was he happy primarily for the gift? Was it like, you know, he had a small stack of stuff, and then when he got the gift, it was like he had a big stack of stuff? So he's like, yeah, I got a big stack of stuff. That's what I'm happy about. Is that what he was happy about? No, what brought him joy was the fact that God was working in these Philippians and they were showing their support for the ministry. They were evidencing the fruit of what God was doing in their life. And so it wasn't that Paul was happy in the gift per se. He was happy in what the gift represented. He was happy in in what God was doing through them. And again, as I say, it's not that Paul was overjoyed because he only had a little bit and now he had a whole lot. Look at verse 11 because that shows us what he was really happy in. Verse 11 says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Paul says, you know what? I don't need the gift to make me happy. I'm happy for the gift because of what that gift represented. But I don't need a big stack of stuff to make me happy. He says, I have learned to be content. That word content isn't used in the New Testament a lot. It's really only used three times in the New Testament. In the world of Paul's day, that word would be used to describe a self-sufficiency. Somebody who who had everything they, they needed. They didn't need anybody else. Um, as Paul uses this, and, and through the New Testament, it, it, it really is conveying a God-sufficiency. A God-sufficiency. In other words, it's being content that doesn't need anything outside of my relationship with God for my happiness. And Paul says, I have learned to be content. I have learned to be content in my relationship with God. Are you familiar with Jim Berg? I don't know if you're familiar with that, that author. He's a mentor of mine at college. And he wrote a book called God is More Than Enough that has just really been a blessing in my life. I saw you have a, a nice selection of books back there. And I don't know if that book is back there. I've got to put a bug in, in Pastor Edwards here to put that book in there. God is More Than Enough. And, and as we see what Paul says here, he, he says, you know what? I've found, I've learned that God... If I've got God, I've got more than enough. I am content. It's a God-sufficiency. And notice that verse 11 says it's a God-sufficiency in in every circumstance of my life. Every circumstance. Look at verse 12. He says in verse 12, I know how to get along with, with what? With humble means. And I know how to get along with, with what? With, with, with prosperity or lots of things. In, any, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being f- filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. So Paul says, in every circumstance, whether it's in abundance or need, I have learned 
to make God my sufficiency. He is all that I need. Neither riches nor want changed his settled happiness because it was founded on Christ. Hey, what songs did you sing tonight? Do you remember the songs that you sing? Did you sing one about on Christ the solid rock I stand? And what was that what were those verses saying? You know, no matter what comes in my life, trial or happiness, my life is founded on Christ. And that's the truth that we sang tonight. It's the truth that Paul lived. He knew humble means and he knew prosperity. And look again at verse 11, if you will, because not only does it talk about contentment, and the idea of contentment is a God-sufficiency. In Christ, I have all that I need. In every circumstance, I have all that I need. But look again at verse 11. He says, he says for I have, what? Learned. Learned. You know what your friend who has come to you to sit across the table from you at Burger King or McDonald's or Starbucks or wherever you go and talk to somebody for me. It's Applebee's after 9. They've got half-off appetizers. And so I order two. And you can tell by the way I look that I would order two. But they're half-off. So you can get them for the price of one. But my wife and I will sometimes go to Applebee's. Or I'll go to Applebee's with my friend or sit somewhere at McDonald's and sit across the table. And you're sitting there talking to a friend. And you're trying to encourage them. And you know what that friend many times wants from you? They want a magic formula. They want a pill. They want something something instant to give them relief. And what Paul says here, he says, I, I, I didn't get it in a bottle. I didn't get it as a magic potion. But I have learned. And learning conveys the idea of, of a progress, of time of what we would call progressive sanctification, of just an every day putting into practice what God is teaching me. <clears throat> We're in the middle of driver's education in my family. My daughter is 18. My son is 15. Okay, My young son is, is 11, so he's still got a little bit. But my 15-year-old and my 18-year-old are in the midst of driving, learning to drive. Okay? And, and I use that word, learning to drive, right? Do, do kids just naturally know how to drive coming out of the womb? You know, what do you have to do? Is it hard for you to drive with your child if you have a child going through that? I'm on this side, and I'm, how many of you are you know, hitting the brakes with your right foot over there on this side, and, and you're wanting to grab the wheel, and, and, and you're saying, now, let me show you this one. You come to this, and you're teaching them, and over time you learn. In a far greater way, Paul is saying that he learned, he learned in every circumstance that God is more than enough. You know what, though? We're so quick to look for something more. We'll sing in a church service on Wednesday night, on Christ the solid rock I stand. I don't need anything else. Just stand on Christ. We'll sing that Wednesday night at 7. And we'll go home Wednesday night or get up Thursday morning. And we're so quick to want something more than what God has provided. We love God. 
And, we, and, and I use the word we because I'm with you in this. Okay? We love God. We want to follow Christ. But we really just want something more. Like, I just want to be right. I want to be right. How many arguments have happened in your home over that one desire of, I just have to be right? I just want to feel good. I, I, I love God. I love Christ. I just want to feel good. And we look for something more. I just want to do what I want to do. And we want something more than what God has given us. These are the cries of our heart and wanting something more than God and wanting something more than what He has provided. And so you or your friend who you're sitting across the table from, in the midst of these trials that we talked about at the beginning, right? Debilitating illness. Terminal diagnosis. Unsettled relationship. Struggle with sin. In these situations, when we want something more, what do we do? We go pursuing these things. And it may be in a bottle. It may be in some activity. It may be in a relationship. It may be who knows what it is for you. You know what it is for me? If I'm just being totally transparent with you, you know what it is for me? It's ice cream. Okay? It's ice cream. Can you eat a banana split to the glory of God? I believe you can. Okay? But not a double banana split every day, right? So I come home after working hard all day. I walk into a house, and what do I think my family should do? Bow down would be good. Worship would be another one. And when I walk through the door and they don't, and Marsh expects me to actually work at my house, or raising my children takes effort, and my children don't necessarily want to be led. Why? Because they have a dwelling sin, just like I do. And sometimes when I don't get what I want in my home, I'll kind of escape for a little while and go find my joy in ice cream. Because you know what? Every time I eat ice cream, it makes me feel good. Okay? But what's so wrong with that? Because I'm, fi- I'm literally, I'm trying to find my joy in something other than my God-ordained responsibility and the fact that Christ is with me in the middle of that trial. And you laugh about ice cream, and we ought to, and it's not right. But what's your escape? What is it that you turn to when you're looking for something more? The results of running around and racing for something more? You know, I mean, again, for me. So I escape, and I try to drown my sorrows in ice cream, and what happens? You get to the end of the ice cream, and you had a big one, right? Because it's going to make me feel good. What what feelings do I have when I finish that ice cream? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is wrong, right? I just blew my Weight Watcher points out the window. And you know what? It's gone. And I may have wasted $5 that I didn't have. And now I still got to go home, and I still got to face the same challenges. It's frustration. It's guilt. It's emptiness. 
And for many, it's an addiction. So what's the solution? What is the solution for us tonight? Based on this passage of Scripture, what Paul teaches us in the book of Philippians, what is the answer? Can we have joy? Can we have hope? Can your friend who you're talking to from God's Word receive the hope that Christ offers to him? Absolutely. Because Paul knew what that was. You can too. Well, let me give you three things that I think we learned from the book of Philippians. Our time is almost done, so I'll give them to you and, um, and just show you a verse or two for each. The, the book of Philippians is God's inspired revelation. Okay? And it is, it, is, it is a revelation of how God practically worked out hope in Paul's life. And by learning what God did through Paul, we can learn what God can do for us. And so if you want to learn contentment, as Paul did, I think there's three things that we can learn from this passage. The first one is that contentment is found when we savor the presence of Christ with us. Contentment is found when we savor the presence of Christ with us. Look, if you will, at Philippians 1. Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Why is it gain for Paul to die? Answer? Because he would be with Christ. (laughs) But he says, for me to live is Christ. Christ is with me. I am in Christ. My relationship with Christ is really the foundation of everything, of everything that I do in my life. I think of Psalm 23, and and the Apostle Paul knew the Old Testament Scriptures. What's the psalmist say in Psalm Psalm 23? Even though I go through the valley of shadow of death, what does he say? Thou art with me. And do you realize this? In the midst of the circumstance that you face tonight, and the circumstance of those folks I described at the beginning, that Christ is right there with them, if they know Christ and are trusting Him for salvation, Christ's presence is with them. And for Paul, it made all the difference in the world. For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. I'll actually get to see Christ. And and I'll get to worship Him. But in the life that I have, I am to show forth Christ. And His presence as the psalmist is with me. Philippians 1.23, Paul states that he is living, he is living in the presence of his longing for the physical presence of Christ, which would be far better than anything on the earth. And yet, God has left him here for a purpose. So contentment is found, contentment is found when we savor the presence of Christ. Are you enjoying the presence of Christ today? You know what you can do? You can talk to Him. Right? He's the unseen guest at every dinner. He's your unseen companion in everything you do. So you can turn and say, Lord, I need Your help. By Your Spirit, with Your Word, help me. Show me. Comfort me. Encourage me. 
Number two, contentment is found when we trust the promises of Christ. When we trust the promises of Christ. Go back, or you're already in Philippians 1. Look at Philippians 1, verse 6. What's Paul saying? He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Will, will Christ ever lead you halfway through? Will He ever start something in you and then, and then kind of walk away from it? No, Paul knew. Again, as our brother in the back talked about, Paul's theology was driving his contentment. And he knew that Christ would never, never leave one of His promises unfulfilled. He who began a good work will complete it. Contentment is found when we, when we trust the promises of Christ. We trust the promises of Christ. Again, did you say Philippians 4.19? Four, or, uh, I'm thinking of Philippians 4.19. But my God shall... What's Paul say? My God shall supply all of my need. Does God always do that on our timetable? <laughs> no. But I know some of some of you who've been Christians for a long time could stand tonight and say, you know what, He hasn't always done it on my timetable, but He has always provided what I really needed. And He's never let me down. That's what the psalmist says. That's what some of you would say. And I tell you this, that you can be content. You can have a God sufficiency as you trust the promises of Christ. Again, where does this work out? All right, for me, all right, so I walk home and... You know, remember this, guys. You don't come home from work. You come home to work, right? And when we don't get that right, we're in trouble, okay? So if I'm not thinking right, I'm coming home zippity-doo-dah. I'm waiting for my family to serve me. And I walk through that door, and they don't serve me. I'm quickly tempted to go my own way and find satisfaction in something outside of Christ. But what should I do when I face that? God... Number one, I stop and I pray. I say, God, help me. Christ, you promised to give me everything I need. Help me right now to serve my family. Okay, Whatever it is. And you know where your battle is. But I can trust the promises of God. The, really, the promises that Christ has given to us. Philippians 4.19 promises Christ's provision. And, and by the way, those provisions are, are where? They're in Christ. They're in Christ. He is God's greatest provision for you. He is the promise that is always with you. So contentment is found when we embrace the, the, the person of Christ. Contentment is found when we trust the promise of Christ. And as we've already alluded to, number three, contentment is found when we access the provision of Christ. Philippians 4.19, Christ provides all that we need. All that we need. And that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because your friend would say to you, but I just need this. And you would say, if God hasn't given that to you, He will give you grace. He will give you grace for this moment. 
There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able, but with the temptation will always do what? Make a way to go through that for the glory of God, by His grace, for His glory. And so I understand that it's easy for me from a pulpit to share that with you. And you say, Tracy, you have no idea. I don't. I don't have any idea. But you know what Paul talks about in Philippians 1? That God's Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is with you, and God's Spirit can help you. And by the way, what's the other provision that God, through Christ, has given you if you're a member of this church? You know what it is? It's the other members of this church. And and I share with people in personal discipleship and and counseling sessions when they're struggling with, with particular sin habits. I say part of the means of God's grace for you is, is the brothers and sisters in Christ in the body. And I just challenge you to read later James 5.16, which says, Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you will be healed. And I believe in the body of Christ, the relationship that we have with each other as we're open and honest and transparent and ask for prayer and look for encouragement, that is a means of God's grace for you. So, terminal illness. Is there hope? There's hope because God is more than enough. He'll give you what you need every single day. Chronic pain, which will never go away this side of heaven. Is there hope? Does you kind of have to hang on for the rest of your life? Grin and bear it? <clears throat> or can you have joy? You can have joy when you learn contentment, a God-centered sufficiency by embracing the person of Christ, the promises of Christ, and the provision that Christ has for you. Hey, maybe maybe you ought to talk with somebody and say, you know, I'm struggling. I need some help. Would you help me? I think there would be some people here in this church who could help you. I know your pastor would love to help you. Maybe you need to be a means of God's grace to somebody else. So the next time they say to you, hey, let's go over to... Starbucks and have one of those $5 overpriced things. Can we talk? You say, sure. In fact, I'll even buy. Because let me show you how the Apostle Paul had joy in the midst of difficulty. He had centered his life on Christ and found that God was more than enough. Father, thank you for the truth of this passage. Thank you for the challenge tonight that I needed to hear from just going through this passage. And I pray tonight that you would bless these dear folks. Lord, help them to embrace Christ, trust His promise, and look for His provision in every area of their life so that they might say, like the Apostle Paul, that they have learned to be content. They have learned that you are more than enough for every circumstance of our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.